Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes gore and discussions of sexual assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. College campuses feel different at night. The darkness swallows sounds and people. It can be so easy to feel like the only person in the world. And on a late night, it's tempting to let the little inconsistencies around you get rationalized away. There wasn't a movement in the dark. That was just a shadow. You can finally breathe again when you return to your room. Flop into bed with your clothes still on. Your roommate sleeping like the dead beside you. You wake, head pounding, and crack open one eye to check the clock. But the clock is covered in red. And the ceiling, too. And on the wall, just above your roommate's bloody corpse, reads, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode begins our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we'll present our spooky spin on an urban legend, then dive into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we examine one of the most iconic urban legends, the co-ed cautionary tale. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? It's a chilling warning of the vicarious trauma many college girls develop when their friends become victims of all-too-common violence. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights has had a long development dating all the way back to the early 1960s, when college campuses began to become more diverse and less secure. The story always centers on two women roommates, away from home and living with a stranger for the first time. It explores not just concerns about the supposed security of college dorms, but questions of what women owe to each other, whether they know each other well or not. Around this time, other gruesome legends developed, featuring similar on-campus murders, a la Sorority Row. Folklorist Simon J. Bronner suggests these legends are a result of the mistrust of the security of institutional life, especially for students away from the haven of home and the setting of many campuses in isolated Arcadias. But Arcadia is an illusion, and in a sleepy college town, it's easy for a killer 
to go unnoticed. If pressed, Katie would have a hard time explaining why she was in college. She hated class. She was terrible with deadlines and was constantly turning things in late. She felt small and insignificant sitting in a sea of a hundred students, pencil scratching in a cavernous lecture hell. Frankly, she spent more time in the bathroom during class than she did actually listening and homework always lost out to sorority mixers or art kid raves. The best justification she had for her continued matriculation was that her parents were paying for her to live away from them. It was what the three of them all wanted. Her parents weren't horrible, but they had an apathy towards her that Katie despised. She liked living with a roommate much better. Katie's roommate Stevie was fairly shy and she didn't share Katie's love of parties. But Stevie was exceptionally kind. She would remind Katie to eat if she had not, and she wouldn't even let her leave the room without a sweater in the fall. She seemed to like taking care of Katie, perhaps because it was clear that Katie didn't really know how to take care of herself. But tonight, Katie envied her. While Katie had to pack her book bag tight with abnormal psych books, Stevie had the evening off. They'd sat together for a few minutes in the cafeteria. Stevie checked to make sure that Katie wouldn't be missing another deadline. Katie gestured to her backpack and told Stevie of her plan to barricade herself in the library. She was determined to turn something in on time. Stevie told her how proud of her she was. Even when Katie tried her hardest, though, it always seemed like there was something getting in the way of her success. She double and triple checked her book bag, but it was only when she'd completely gotten settled at the library when she realized she'd somehow forgotten one of the books she needed to do her paper. The paper was due at 7 a.m. It was a little past midnight now. If Katie had any hope of turning it in on time, she'd have to book it back across campus to her room and pick it up. It wouldn't be fair to try to complete it in her room when Stevie was sleeping, and the dorm common rooms were too loud for her to focus. She'd have to get it and come back. During the day, the quad was bursting with life. Various clubs were campaigning for new members, students were eating on the grass, and sometimes you could find someone throwing a frisbee to a dog. But at midnight, the whole space was silent desolate. It was as though she'd been dropped onto a replica of her campus, but they'd forgotten to include other people. She was alone, in a vast nothingness. The thought made her shiver. The moon hung low in the sky, and the campus was poorly lit. Katie had been terrified of the dark as a child, and she felt some of those old fears coming back to life as she crossed the grass. A few weeks ago, there had been a story in the campus newspaper. Another girl had been walking on campus late at night. She'd heard a rustling in the bushes, but hadn't paid much attention. A few minutes later, the rustling got louder. The girl had decided to take a look in the bushes, just in case an animal was wounded or hurt. As she kneeled down, a boy leapt out of the bushes with a knife. He assaulted the girl and then left her on the brick walkway. She crawled to the police call box. 
It was the third attack in a month, and campus police had no leads. As Katie walked on, thinking of the girl, she heard footsteps behind her. She slowed her gait, leaving a wide breath between herself and the nearby plants. The other pair of footsteps slowed with hers. She stopped short, testing. Maybe the walker behind her only wanted to walk. Katie glanced behind, but the rest of the quad was empty. She took one full look around the space. The trees were still. So were the bushes. The police box shone bright blue in the distance. If she needed, she could make a run for it. She took a deep breath and started walking. The footsteps behind her were faster now. Her mouth was dry with fear. She bent over and pretended to tie her shoe under a street lamp. As the sound got closer, the walking figure finally reached her. She stayed in her crouch, trying her best to look busy. She didn't dare look up, but her eyes slid to the scuffed brown shoes standing several feet away from her. There was some sort of dark brown splotch over the top of them, but she couldn't make out what it was in the shadows from the fluorescent light far above. She waited for the shoes to move, but they stayed where they were. Realizing they were in a game of chicken, Katie rose slowly. She started walking forward again, pumping her fists back and forth. The blue light was her beacon. If she could be nonchalant enough, the other person might not even know she was onto them. The footsteps started to fade behind her. They weren't matching her pace anymore. She finally turned her head and saw a freshman with his head buried in his cell phone strolling in the opposite direction. The splotch on his shoe must have been paint. He certainly looked like an art major. Katie turned, caught a flash of pink flesh behind the leaves. In the darkness, it looked more like a pop of color in a Pollock painting than a person trying to blend in with the dark shrubbery around them. She wasn't alone in the dark. Katie turned back around and started sprinting towards that tall white column and its friendly blue light. She could hear their breath behind her, feel their eyes boring into her back. Something grazed the back of her t-shirt. The call box was moving farther from her grasp. No matter how fast she ran, it kept receding, like the night was eating away its edges. Katie glanced behind herself, trying to get a better look at the man. Just as his facial features started to come into focus, she found herself falling to the ground. She put her hands out to break her fall, scratching her palms in the process. Her knees burned and her wrists throbbed. The man slowed behind her. Katie held her breath. She couldn't see him, but she could feel his eyes on her, considering studying. She could feel blood oozing from her torn-up knees and palms, but still she froze, waiting, trying to decide if she could get a scream out before he touched her. She brought herself up to all fours, 
her stinging knees protesting every movement. But he was on her before she could do anything. He ripped the jean pocket off her pants. She remained frozen, confused and terrified. But then he walked away. She got up her nerve and raised her head, but he seemed to have disappeared in the dark. She tried to convince herself that it was just another misunderstanding, but then her hand wandered to the back of her jeans. Her pocket was missing. It hadn't been an accident. It hadn't been a misunderstanding. Someone had wanted to scare her, to hurt her, and they were still out there. It was then that she realized that her dorm room keys were gone. Up next, Katie gets a new and very deadly roommate. Now, back to the story. When Katie finally did reach the police call box, they sent a medic to clean up her wounds and took her statement. But without any details, it would be nearly impossible to catch the guy. Even if there was one, one of the officers not so gently suggested. Maybe she'd lost her keys when she tripped. Had she checked the ground? There was no shame in admitting an accident. She had been lucky. Katie smiled tightly and made excuses to leave as soon as possible. Maybe it had all been a mistake. She didn't want to think about it. It was near 2 a.m. now, and she was running out of time to finish her paper. She stuck near streetlights as much as she could as she walked back to her dorm. The person in the dorm security booth didn't even raise a hand to wave her through. There were several people milling around the common areas, an island of normalcy in a dark and turbulent storm. Katie sat on one of the couch arms for a moment, taking in the conversation before heading back towards her room. The overhead light in her hallway had burnt out while she was gone. She made a mental note to tell her RA about it later. Katie prayed that Stevie wasn't that far into her REM cycle as she knocked on the door. The door slid back as Katie pressed her fist against it. She wished the hall light was still working. Katie crept into the room. Stevie was making soft noises of distress in her sleep. Katie whispered to her that she was okay. It was just the door. She didn't tell Stevie about her keys being stolen or that the door had been open. It was probably just some punk trying to steal a computer or something. He'd probably seen Stevie snoring and gotten scared off. Half of her wanted to turn on her desk lamp so she could find the book easily, but she knew that wouldn't be fair to Stevie. This was Katie's fault. She'd forgotten the book. She didn't have the right to interrupt Stevie's rest as a result. Katie waited for her eyes to adjust to the darkness. When she could finally see some semblance of dark shapes in the space, she started moving around the room. Reaching blindly with her hands, Katie checked her bed for any signs of a book. Nothing. She shushed Stevie again, soothing. It was just a dream. She'd be okay. Her hands skimmed over her desk. Something warm and wet stuck to her fingers. Was that where her cheesecake plate had gone? She really was a slob, huh? 
poor Stevie put up with a lot from her. She wiped her hands on her jeans and kept looking. Katie shot a quick look at the lump of her roommate in the dark. She'd finally settled in her sleep. All was still. The neon red of her alarm clock read 2.25. Katie shook her head and got back to searching. She dug around on the floor until she felt something rectangular. Her book. She stood up and said a quick, sleep tight to Stevie. Katie rose to her feet and headed for the door. Her foot slid across the concrete floor. She fell forwards onto her bed, still clutching the book to her chest. Katie told Stevie she was fine, not to worry. She should just go back to sleep. Katie straightened and headed out the door. She didn't notice the trail of bloody footprints she left behind her. She passed the rest of the night in the library, finishing her paper. For once, Katie made a deadline. Rather than stick around for class, though, she headed back towards her dorm. Her eyes stung in the bright light, and her whole face felt heavy. She was ready to sleep for an eternity. There were police cars parked in front of her dorm. Maybe she'd misjudged them last night, and they were here to help figure out who had attacked her. Maybe they'd already found someone and wanted her to identify them. She hoped they hadn't woken Stevie who hadn't sounded good last night. Katie pulled the front door open, letting the sounds of voices wash over her again. But as she passed, the voices hushed. A sea of accusing eyes stared at her. Someone yelled at her. The words weren't making much sense in her brain. Something about hurting someone? She was too tired for social anxiety, so she kept heading zombie-like down the corridor. The hallway light was working again. She sighed with relief, grateful she didn't have to deal with the RA. Police officers were standing in front of her door. Dark red footprints shone brightly against the faded yellow of the concrete floors. It almost looked like her shoes. An officer approached her. Katie asked if this was about her stolen keys. The officer shook his head. He swallowed heavily before speaking. He hadn't heard about the keys, but he wanted to look at the bottom of her shoes. She took her right sneaker off and handed it to him. He examined it for a second, bending down to compare it with the ones on the floor. When he was satisfied, he asked if he could escort her into her room. There was a question they'd been trying to solve and they needed her help. She agreed, and he opened the door. The first thing she noticed was the crimson stain on the floor. Lack of sleep had made her mind slow. Tears filled her eyes before she could comprehend what was happening. Then she noticed the bed, Stevie's bed. It was covered in red. It was marked off with forensic tape in a neat, clean grid, just as orderly as Stevie liked it. Stevie lay below the sheet, bathed in her own blood. A strangled scream left Katie's throat. Her roommate was gone. But she'd heard Stevie last night. Oh, God. 
she'd heard her. Katie covered her mouth with her hand, afraid that she'd be sick. She wanted to leave the room, but the police officer asked her to look up, explaining that he knew how difficult the situation would be. They would need to ask her a few questions about the night before. She stammered out an explanation. The fall on the sidewalk, the keys, Stevie's sickness. It didn't even occur to her that they might suspect her. The officer politely asked her to look up again. He needed an explanation, and it could be very bad for her if she wasn't entirely truthful. Katie stared at him, puzzled. He couldn't mean she had had something to do with this. The officer asked if she had checked Stevie after she realized she was sick. Tears began to fill her eyes again. Just focus, miss, he said. Just focus. She took a deep breath and looked. The blood had gotten everywhere. There was spray and slashes, handprints, even a smiley face. And written above it all in stark crimson, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? The proto-version of Aren't You Glad You Didn't Turn on the Lights is generally known as The Roommate's Death, as it also involves two college roommates. But in this case, one girl actively chooses to save herself, virtually abandoning her friend. The first girl hears disturbing gurgling and scraping sounds in the dorm hallway and decides to close and lock her door, leaving her roommate stranded outside. In the morning, the hiding roommate discovers that the sounds she heard were her roommate struggling to crawl to safety after being wounded by the killer. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? Borrows the question of what two almost strangers owe to one another and combines it with another potent urban legend, humans can lick too. The victim of Humans Can Lick Too doesn't realize that it's a concealed killer who was licking her fingers in the middle of the night, rather than her beloved canine. The added horror comes from realizing the murderer was right beside you the whole time. Folklorist Jan Harald Brunvand notes that this amalgamated version of The Roommate's Death and Humans Can Lick Too became prevalent in the 1980s, once women were much more common on college campuses and were actively integrating into spaces that had been previously dominated by men. Folklorist Beverly Crane contends that the male rescuer's presence reinforces the idea that though women college students might crave independence, that supposed freedom is an illusion. A man is still needed to protect them because they didn't protect themselves. It might ultimately be seen as a kindness that the unseen killer in Aren't You Glad You Didn't Turn On The Lights leaves the story's final girl alive. Her roommate is dead when she enters the dorm room. She can't save her. She can only save herself by remaining ignorant. But the framing of the story forces the protagonist to bear witness in the end, whether she wants to or not. Conversations about sexual consent and gendered violence have always been a major concern on college campuses, 
and further discussions of them have often been spurred by women's rights activists who found their first enclave in higher education. The debate between women surrounding consent and personal responsibility continues, and a major argument in the feminist movement surrounds the notion of privilege. Just because oppression isn't happening to you doesn't mean it's not happening to someone else. Victim blaming and slut shaming are forms of oppression in themselves, and women choose to distance themselves from other women using these tactics all the time. As we get closer to the present, the ending of Aren't You Glad You Didn't Turn On The Lights gets shorter, the male cop rescuer disappears, and the woman lead is left to process her roommate's death on her own without a patriarchal force to console her or create a barrier between her and the danger she faces. A danger that destroyed the woman living beside her. A message written in blood above a slaughtered woman is always going to be scary. But in Aren't You Glad You Didn't Turn On The Lights, it's not just a warning, it's an indictment. You can try to close your eyes, you can try to stay asleep, but someone could be suffering right beside you. Taking the chance to end that suffering could put your own safety at risk. Would you do it? Would you turn on the lights? Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with The New Haunted Place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy, production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Richet. I'm Greg Polson.